Rio de Janeiro. With a big man. Welcome to Frio de Janeiro. This is Abid Iman. On this show, I'm joined by former Australian cricketer and Western Australia's domestic champion coach, Adam Voges. He's actually a lad from my local club, Melville, and he's gone on to achieve at the highest level of the game. So there's a bit of excitement at getting him on the show, given that connection. In this conversation, I wanted to break new ground so while we touched upon his well-spoken about cricket playing career, we discussed how he's become a championship coach in Australian domestic cricket across all three formats. You can expect an upbeat conversation where we dug deeper on his philosophies and practices in leading teams at a high-performing level. Thanks a lot to Sightbeat for supporting the show and yourself for listening. Any way you can support is appreciated, such as just mentioning it to a mate. Please enjoy Adam Voges. Adam, it's a real pleasure to have you on Frio de Janeiro. It's uh, quite surreal for myself because growing up around the Melbourne Cricket Club, a, a great club which we'll talk about, you were coming through the ranks and for a, a young aspiring cricketer to see someone from your own club go on to achieve the success you did, was really inspiring. And while I didn't go on to cricket success, I still work in sport myself. And uh, this is this is exciting to have you on, uh, mate. So welcome. Thank you. No, thanks I mean, for having me. And um, yeah, obviously looking forward to our chat. I know you spent some time um, when you were younger in Kalgoorlie. And the listener might not know that, you know, Perth is extremely remote itself. But then when you talk about a, a place that's 600 kilometres away from here, uh, what are some of those memories growing up in a town like Kalgoorlie to start off? Yeah, well, I, my, my dad uh, was a school teacher, and uh, and with that, we we travelled around a little bit um, during during our childhood. But um, yeah, I well, I was I was very young when we when we lived in Kalgoorlie. I was I went to school primary school in year two in Kalgoorlie, um, so very very long time ago. But uh, have been back a number of times since then, and uh, yeah, look. Some some fond memories of of the the time there, but yeah, obviously being very young, but yeah, dad being a school teacher meant that we we did jump around a little bit um, when I was younger, um, and spent a number of uh, time at a number of places. Yeah, but we're in Kalgoorlie for for two years, which um, yeah, I, was very enjoyable at the time. Um, albeit I was I was pretty young. On the sporting front, uh, what's really fascinating with a lot of athletes is. To hear about the different sports they tried at an early age, uh, and it, there seems to be research around you know the, the importance of not specialising in a certain sport, um, especially young. So, what were your journeys getting involved in community sport and then cricket? Yeah, I, and I'm a big believer of of trying everything. I've, I've got a couple of young kids now as well, and uh, very keen for them to to try and explore different sports and. Uh, I believe that sport in general helps in a lot of ways with with teamwork, with with becoming part of a group, um, with the disciplines around being part of a team. But um, for me personally, uh, I tried everything. I did footy, cricket, uh, t-ball, soccer, uh, basketball, uh, anything that I could possibly try. My parents were willing to drive me to. Uh, I, I had a crack at. So, but again, it, I, I honestly believe that. Trying and playing those other sports, no doubt, 
had a benefit for me to to my cricketing career down the track. Um, but yeah, just the skills and 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 being part of a team, I think, is hugely important as well. We'll fast forward a little bit to Melville Cricket Club, a place that uh, was very influential in the early stages of your elite career. Tell me about what made Melville Cricket Club so special because, you know, when we look at the Australian cricket team, every player has had to come through the club system and it's three tiers down from international cricket or, you know, a couple, a couple of steps away, but it's, it's, it's not professional. Well, tell us about that culture at the club and what it was like specifically there. Yeah, I, I, I still remember my first meeting uh, with um, the president and coach, at the time, uh, I'd, I'd grown up in Rockingham, um, played played junior cricket and um, some lower grade cricket at Rockingham. And at the time, they didn't have a, a first grade team, so I needed to find somewhere to keep progressing my cricket. And um, I, I rocked up to the meeting, and and the president rocked up in his BMW, and I thought, oh, well, that's a good start. Um, this this <laughs> This might be a nice club, but um, the, I think what attracted me to Melville was just the the caliber of people who were who were there. Um, all throughout my twenty plus years that I was at Melville, I absolutely loved the place. Um, it was it was a it felt like home every time I was able to come back, uh, whether I'd been away playing or um, hadn't been down the club for a little period of time. It was just a place that I always loved coming back to. And we, we had some wonderful players and we had a really successful period during the early 2000s. Um, we won a number of number of flags and I've made friends that I still regularly keep in contact from from the Melville Cricket Club. So for me and, and for all of our, our players, particularly in Western Australia and, and the, the, their development and their pathway, Premier Cricket Club cricket is a, is a, a really important part of that. So um, I always love going back. I always love being able to play for Melville whenever I could, um, and still try and get down to the club when I can. There were a disproportionate amount of players who ended up going on to play for state or international representation. Yourself and uh, Dimitri Mascarinis, uh, the Mulemans, Sean Terry, who's been on this show as well. Uh, Sean's dad, Paul was a really key mentor for you. Tell us about that relationship and how he came onto the radar as well. Yeah, I, I first started working with, with Paul um, during my uh, underage representative start of my career, um, under 15s, under 17s, um, and, and came across Paul, obviously a wonderful player in his own right, um, had had a hugely successful career in England for Hampshire and, and had played test cricket. So um, when he was had gone to Melville and was was coaching Melville at the time when, when I made the move, um, having that relationship with Paul made that transition a lot easier. And uh, yeah, he was he was very influential in my career, particularly early on um, when I was finding my way in in, in Premier cricket. Um, I know he's he's still the director of cricket down at Melville now, um, which is fantastic that. Uh, they've got someone of his calibre still involved in the club. So, um, again, like any cricketer, any sports person, uh, you'll have a number of mentors along the way who have a huge impact and influence in your life, and, and Paul was certainly one of them. Uh, right now you're wearing the, the WA um, badge on, on, your, on your chest, and that's uh, the next step that you made in your career. You walked into a dressing room with the likes of Mike Hussey, who we know bided his time to get his first baggy green as well. 
what was it like to make that step from uh, Premier Cricket to now that professional standard and being full-time? Uh, yeah, oh, look, it was, again, from the time that I was old enough to pick up a bat, that's that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to play cricket for my country, uh, for my state, um, and so I was, I was really clear on what I wanted to do. It was about getting out there and doing the work and and um, and being good enough to to perform and and get those opportunities. But um, yeah, for me, I, I mean the, the the journey and the um, the career path that I had as a as a player was uh, was a different one. Uh, I started as a I started as a left arm wrist wrist spinner. I, I played all of my junior cricket. I represented the Australian under nineteens over in England in, in 1999, at primarily primarily as a, as a left-arm wrist spinner who batted at nine, eight, nine. Um, that's how I first started my, my first grade career with Melville as well. Um, I went to the, the Cricket Academy in 2000 and um, that's probably where my batting started to develop. And I guess from that period, from, from 2000 to when I made my debut in 2002, um, there was a pretty big shift in and who I was as a player, I went from a, again, a left arm wrist spinner who batted eight or nine to someone who the leggies weren't coming out particularly well, um, had to do a bit more work on my batting. Um, and, and during that period, that two year period, invested a lot of time and, and actually made my, my first class debut in 2000, December 2002, um, batting at batting at five for Western Australia um, as, as an out and out batter. So, um, pretty big shift um, to, to go from, I guess, one discipline to another. Um, but, yeah, it was that was how I made my career, I guess, was, was making that shift. When you um, have gone on to play for Australia 2015, age 35, were you always aiming to play for Australia or was it something where uh, you, you just had to do the hard work and see where it took you? Oh no! Look, I always wanted to play for Australia, and, and during that period from from um, my first class debut to my Test debut, and there's there's a big gap. There's 13 years in there, but um, I was lucky enough played some white ball cricket, T20 cricket, one day cricket for Australia, and was on the fringes of of squads a lot of the time. And um, I'll be the first to admit that from a particularly from a red ball and and a and a first class point of view, I I just didn't demand selection in terms of performance. I, I never really knocked the door down and it probably wasn't until after I knew that my white ball career with Australia had finished that I guess that distraction of wanting to play cricket for Australia was removed and I was able just to really focus on what I was doing in Western Australia. I was captain of WA at the time. Um, Justin Langer had come on board as, as coach and uh, we were working really well together and um, I, I was just really enjoying my cricket and uh, from that came a couple of really successful seasons in in, in uh, Sheffield Shield cricket um, with the bat and then yeah albeit at, at a very late age of 35 I um, I got the nod and I guess getting that getting that phone call from Rod Marsh who was the chairman of selectors at the time was uh, was pretty surreal uh, when you when you think that that opportunity has, has passed you by um, for then that to be presented to you again was um, yeah something really fortunate and, and really lucky to have got and um, when you're at 35 and you're making your debut you probably know you're there for a good time not a long time and and, and that's sort of how I try to 
uh, go about it. Uh, that, that's the approach I took. I, I knew that it wasn't going to last forever. Um, so I wanted to have as much fun and, and enjoy it as much as I possibly could during that period. And um, I, I was in I was in career best form when I got picked and sometimes timing is everything. Uh, and uh, yeah, I was lucky enough to over the next sort of 18, 24 months have a have a pretty successful international career. So, um, but yeah, there was a lot of hard graft to get me to that point and, and probably at times thought that it might not happen, but yeah, actually very thankful and, and lucky that it did. Persistence and perseverance. And, and we did fast forward quite a bit there. And that's sort of deliberate because you have talked about your career and what you've done afterwards. You know, when you go on your Wikipedia page for Adam Voges, there's nothing about your coaching at the moment, which is an area that you've been so incredibly successful. You did uh, touch upon Justin Langer. And uh, before we get into the coaching, um, I'm really fascinated about that captain-coach relationship uh, and forming that with JL. It's it's really unique in cricket because the captain is such an extension of that coach on the field and makes some really massive decisions. How do you manage that type of relationship? What does that look like in cricket? Yeah, your captain coach relationships, you're most important in, in cricket. Uh, as, as you mentioned, it's, it's not like other sports where the coach can make a lot of, I guess, real time decisions when, when the game's happening. Um, a lot of that responsibility is entrusted to the captain and so the the role of the coach particularly in cricket is about the preparation of the players and making sure that they're as as ready as they can be to to when they step onto the field and and be able to perform but also that ability to make sure that the captain is as well prepared as he possibly can be because ultimately he's the one making the decisions out on the field and uh we justin and i had a, a really close relationship with um when when we work together and it's something that now that i'm on the coaching side um certainly invested a lot of time into working with our captains to make sure that we we have a really close relationship uh, really strong communication about uh, what we're what we're thinking what we're planning what we're trying to do um but then ultimately giving them the trust and and the ability to to make their own decisions in the heat of battle out in the middle and um we don't always get it right. That's okay. Um, but yeah, having that that really strong dynamic and that strong relationships um, pretty crucial. Before we dig deeper into uh, your coaching rise, there's been talk about the centuries you made uh, at test level, averaging 61. Uh, you've said that your highlight was scoring that century against New Zealand at the Wacker for Australia, which is your home deck. Was there an innings where you felt your absolute best? So it might not have been at international level, but one that you reflect on where you're just in that flow state and you were unstoppable? Well, um, yeah, I, I talk to our players a bit about that. I, I, I sort of I say to them um, that because a lot of our players and a lot of the young guys coming through now, they're, they're real perfectionists and, and they want everything to be perfect all the time. And I keep saying to them, I reckon I can count on one hand how many times I, I felt like everything worked exactly how I wanted it to during during my career and I, I probably reflect on pro the, the the double hundred down in Hobart against the West Indies where um, Sean Marsh and I put on, um, we, we, we had a, a record partnership down there and uh, we won that that test pretty comfortably. But one of the, it was one of the times that I, I look back on that innings and watch the highlights of that innings and I don't, I don't remember a lot of it because I guess I was, I was in a, 
place zone, whatever you want to call it, where, um, yeah, I just, for whatever reason, was was in that moment and, and don't actually recollect a lot of what happened in that innings, but it was one of the ones that I just remember thinking, it's one of the very few times I felt like I was actually in control of, of what was happening out there. So as a batter, again, you're always reacting to what's coming at you. Um, what the what the bowler delivers, delivers to you decides on, on or makes you decide on what how you react to that. But um, it was one of the very few times that I remember going out to bat um, or being at the end of an over and feeling that I actually had some control over over what was happening. So, yeah, pretty special to be able to share that with Sean. Uh, we're, we're great mates. We, we still work really closely together uh, for WA. So, um, but that was, yeah, if I if I had to pick a time, probably that innings down in Hobart um, was, was one of them. Well, we talk about that one because it was a partnership in excess of 400 runs and who knows how many hours you're out there batting. Something that is unique about cricket is is just the long format of the game and, and how long you need to be concentrating for. So how did you develop that mental endurance and fortitude? Were there some tactics that really helped you? in between deliveries how was that done yeah um routine is is probably the word that comes to mind uh from a from a mental perspective routines about how you prepare the night before a game uh whether i was playing for melville or whether i was playing for australia i tried to to keep that consistent in terms of um what i would do i would i would write down the night before about who the bowlers i were going to face how I thought they were going to try and get me out, and then what was my, how I was, how I was going to try and go about it, um, and that I didn't always have that information, but for me that was just a consistent process. So my my mental um, readiness for the game always started the night before, and and then when you're out in the middle, um, routine of how you walk out to the middle, how you take guard, how you how you. Um, got yourself ready to face that first ball but then also in between balls it was what was the routine about walking away trying to think about anything other than what had just happened um and I, I hear cricketers and speak to cricketers who bat for periods of time what, what we're thinking about and some guys are thinking about renovations in their house some are thinking about what they need to do in the yeah. garden um something just to take their mind off what's what's just happened um but ability to be able to switch off and then switch back on again when they need to when when the bowler is about to deliver the ball so um we only have a certain amount of concentration in us uh before we wear ourselves out so that ability to be able to switch on switch off is actually really crucial if if you want to be able to bat for long periods of time i'm also fascinated by your um, cricket around the world not many people have say have been able to say that you know they worked at rajasthan or jamaica how did that shape you as a, as a person, just being able to ply your trade in different cultures and contexts? Well, again, yeah, I, the game has taken me to all corners of the globe and I'm incredibly lucky and, and thankful for that. But, yeah, to, to be able to – I spent 10 years over in England playing county cricket for – uh, for Nottinghamshire and, and Middlesex, uh, I got the opportunity to play at Rajasthan. I got the opportunity to play at the Jamaican Talawas and, and play with some wonderful players, um, Shane Warne, uh, Chris Gale at Jamaica. Um, so just to be able to experience, not only experience the different conditions, but be part of different teams, find out how different teams work, different cultures, um, 
and 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 just be part of different organisations and and but also be able to learn off some of the best players in the world too. So uh, I, I was incredibly lucky in that sense. I, I certainly promote it to all of our players to to go out and play and experience the world. Um, we spend a lot of time here and we're, we're just in our off season at the moment, beginning our pre season and. Um, I tried as a player. I tried to avoid pre-season as much as I possibly could. I, I wanted to go and play cricket. Uh, that's that's what I wanted to do, and and I certainly encourage our guys to go and do the same thing because you learn about yourself. You learn about playing in different conditions. You you, you learn about your game, um, and you don't always have a coach or a mentor there to be able to guide you through it. Sometimes you just got to learn it by yourself. And um, some of those experiences they weren't always successful, but. Uh, always had a, a wonderful time and, and, and was really lucky to, to get those opportunities. When we look at 2018, uh, a time where there was a bit of upheaval with Australian cricket with the Sandpaper Gates and um, and then you also became a coach for, for WA uh, in all three formats. Tell us about that time because uh, you actually had just finished your career um, at, at an elite level and you spent some time with the under-19s and all of a sudden, you're now the coach of, of WA, making that jump. What are your reflections on that? Yeah, uh, accidental opportunity, I call it. Uh, the the I was actually over in South Africa doing a bit of commentary work when Sandpaper Gate happened and um, probably didn't know at the time um, the, the series of events that would unfold Um and, and me ending up where, where I have ended up. But, um, yeah, obviously with with Justin taking over the, the Australian coaching role, there was there was an opportunity here in, in WA. I, I'd, I'd already um, – we'd, we'd already had some plans for me to continue my coaching, but in a, in a different role. I was going to be assistant coach uh, at the Scorchers. I was going to um, lead one of the pathway teams. Um, and so I was going to continue my coaching journey that way. Um, but then all of a sudden this opportunity presents and um, I was probably a little bit naive at the time and, and thought that, yeah, I've, I've played cricket for a long time. I, I can be a coach. I, I, I know the game. Um, and so I put my hand up and, and, and was fortunate enough to get the job, but um, probably uh, – jumped into the deep end a little bit in terms of experience and knowledge and, and understanding exactly what, what coaching is about. And um, so it was a pretty quick learning curve uh, for me personally. Um, dealing with guys that I'd played a lot with uh, was was certainly something that I, I still deal with um, at, at the moment. I'm better equipped for it now. But, yeah, just the ability to, to go from a, a player to a captain who who leads the team, to then a coach who is responsible for for everyone and the whole program, um, it was a very big big step up for me. And uh, I'll be the first to admit that I've made a few mistakes along the way. There's, there's no doubt about that. But um, I'm I'm certainly a, a, a different and a, a better coach now than what I was when I first started. When you first started, I'm I'm guessing you have come in and tried to have some team values. Uh, What's the process of instilling values or trying to elicit them from the team, making sure there's buy-in from your players? How does that look at an elite cricket level? Yeah, we're very much values-based uh, in, in, in WA cricket and um, it's, it's, it's 
it's the basis of everything that we do. Our, our trademark and our values, uh, they dictate how we behave, how we make decisions, uh, how we go about our day-to-day -day business. And they're, they're, they're crucial to, to what we do. Um, when, when Justin first came into the, the job as, as, as WA coach, he, he came in and, and instilled some really strong values. Um, and and that that worked incredibly well for us for, for a long period of time. And after, after a year in the job here, I felt there was an opportunity to evolve our values. And um, we, we had a different playing group by that stage. Uh, we had different coaches, we, we had different staff. Um, so the opportunity to for everyone to be a part of that process and um, actually decide who we want to be and what do we actually want to be about or what what gets us out of bed what 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 motivates us to come in and, and do what we do day in day out and and so that was a process we did three years ago now um, which then established our values and and our, our trademark at WA cricket um, we we're able to then put some behaviors around each of those values and what is what does humility look like? What does being committed look like? Uh, what does what does trust look like? Um, and, and so the, each year we, we we talk about those values. Each each day, each game, we talk about those values and how we bring them to life. Uh, we have a jacket that's that's hanging up in my office at the moment um, that we award to the person who we think um, instills that and displays our values um, on a regular basis. Uh, we uh, our our awards at the end of each game uh, are based on our values. They're not based on performance. Um, so there's there's a lot of things that we try and do in the background to to make sure that day in day out we're we're trying to live to those values and to that trademark. And again, as I said, that it's the basis of what we do and and how we go about our business. Now the challenge uh, for yourself as well is coaching across three different formats of the game, which uh, very distinct. <laughs> How do you manage that? And having an extended playing group, some players are specialists in the T20 and some are in the long form. Just talk us through how, how you manage that. Yeah, it keeps me busy. I, I won't lie. Uh, we've So we've got 30 in our Western Australian squad. Uh, we've got 18 in our Scorchers squad. There's, there's some crossover, but uh, I think... There's roughly about 40 players when you when you include our internationals that come in for for, for the big bash. There's generally about 40 players that uh, are on one list or the other. And on my whiteboard at the moment, I can see in my office I've got names everywhere. We've got we've got guys in Sri Lanka at the moment. We've got guys in the UK. We've got guys going up to Darwin. We've got guys here in Perth as well. So keeping tabs on everyone and and just uh, making sure that we've got touch points with everyone's really important. Um, but yeah, also that ability to, and I think our, our absolute competitive advantage with Western Australia and the Perth Scorchers is having continuity or as much continuity as we can with our lists. Um, we, we've got some of the best T20 players in the world, so unfortunately we don't get to keep them all for the Scorchers, but um, we we try and keep as many as we possibly can and then we, we fill in the gaps where we need to. So um that, yeah, that ability to work with cricketers 12 months of the year, but also be able to know that you've got guys who are going to come into your program for, for a short period of time and how do you have an impact on them? How do you keep connection with them um, outside of those times? But also how do you help them develop as well? So um, that's where uh, I'm very lucky in terms of our coaching staff, um, the people that I have around me that that certainly help in that area. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it, 
it keeps us on our toes, um, just the amount of players that we've got uh, who are in different parts of the world at different times and, and the comings and goings, but just making sure that we're across where they're at and, and hope it, hopefully helping them continue to progress their career. You're right across it right now. Do you feel that uh, in the future cricket might head to a state where you have specialist head coach for each of those formats of the game? Yeah, you, you, you will, no doubt. Uh, I think we're starting to see it in international cricket. I think you've seen with the, uh, with the appointments in England uh, with Brendan McCullum, Matthew Mott, uh, two separate head coaches uh, for, for different formats of the game. Um, I think you will see in, in our state system, there's, there's a number of states that uh, their state coach is different to their big bash coach, um, albeit um, some have actually realigned that um, and, and do what we do. So there, there's absolutely pros and cons for, for both ways of doing it. Um, the, the thing that I love about being able to, to, to um, coach all formats of the game is just that connection that I get with the players all year round um, and, and that consistency of, of messaging and, and how we want to go about playing our cricket. Um, is something that I really love. But equally, uh, a fresh voice, different ideas, different um, different thoughts about the game um, can equally be as as effective as well. So um, it's it's about workload at the end of the day. Uh, coaching all three formats is is a is a big job. Um, but having that faith and trust that I do in my assistants and and the people around me to to step in when when I need a bit of a chop out is is crucial to all of that. Um, and, and the reason why we're able to be successful is is the group that I have around me that makes us work really well. The success that you just mentioned is, uh, for the listener, Sheffield Shield champions, Big Bash champions, and one day, uh, one day domestic champions as well. The three-peat in one season. I'm thinking that connection is a very important thing for yourself with your players, as, as you've talked about. How does that look for you when you've got a, an extended list of players across the world? How do you connect with the modern cricketer as well, who is a younger person, a different creature? What's your philosophy? Absolutely, they're, they're different creatures. Um, we, we don't listen to the same music. We don't wear the same clothes. Uh, we, we, we are very different in that sense, but... Um, what we always have in common is love for the game of cricket, and and so we can always get back to that. We can, we've always got something to to uh, bond about, I guess. Um, but it's it's also about just making the effort to reach out on a consistent basis and make sure that whether whether you're here in Perth at the moment or whether you're in Sri Lanka playing for your country or whether you're in England uh, playing for a county team at the moment, um, I've still got regular touch points with you just to check in, see how you're going. Um, making sure everything's okay, understanding that when you get back into our system, um, having a really good catch-up piece with, with the players then. Um, but just just reaching out and making sure that everything's okay. Um, and it, it doesn't have to be much. It might just be a text message or a WhatsApp or um, uh, just a just a brief. Um, and some players, as, as you learn over time, some are really good at getting back to you. Some read your message and don't get back to you. Um, and that's okay as well, um, but just so that they know that uh, we're thinking of them, we're, we're watching how they're going, um, we're, we're there to help and assist if, if they need us at the time, um, but equally, um, 
respectful and, and happy for them to just be uh, present in, in where they are at the time and, and look forward to when they get back. Yeah, and it's so exciting for those cricketers to be in different setups as well. But you do think about how each setup has their own set of values and their own uh, environment and culture. I was just reading about the Australian cricket team who, you know, change of coaches, change of, of setup, and some of the, the key words um, that they're, they're using are owning your space and autonomy, self-sufficiency, relaxation. What is, how important is that type of um, setup to yourself in terms of uh, that individual game but still in a collective context? How, how do you have that balance? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think um, empowerment's a word that I've, I, I like to reference, particularly with our players and um, them, us as a, as a coaching group, being able to empower them to make a lot of decisions about their career and, and how they want to go about their, their, their cricket um, and, and bring them along for the ride and the journey. The days of the coach telling someone what to do are probably gone, um, certainly in, in a cricketing sense, and, and having that collaborative approach to decision-making to I'll still ultimately have the final say, but um, but bringing the players in and in, in those areas, but also up, upskilling them and upgrading them in areas of leadership and, and personal development and, um, and helping them along the way. But I always say to the players, we're, we're, we're here to – always lean on your coaches but never rely on your coaches you, you you ultimately are in charge of your career and the decisions that you make we're here here to help and support that um but ultimately you're you're responsible for for, for what happens in your career so um the player today's player wants to be more involved in 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 every part of what happens around them um and so it's about bringing them into that um allowing them to have that opportunity to raise their questions, concerns, um, approvals, and then be able to uh, be collaborative in, in the way that we go about playing our cricket and, the, and some of the decisions we make. So um, it, it's a shift. There's no doubt about that. But um, the most important bit is, is being able to equip our players to be able to, to, to do a lot of that sort of stuff. So that's that's what we've tried to focus on over the last couple of years, and, and, and we've seen some pretty good results from it. As a player, uh, I've heard you say that, one of your strengths was being able to deliver tough messages and have those honest conversations. As a coach, is it easier because you've got more authority or um, have you had to change your tack with how you do that? Uh, it's personally for myself, it's one of my bits of kryptonite. You know, having tough conversations is not easy for anyone. Uh, I'm just interested in how you made that a strength for yourself. Yeah, I, I don't know if it is a full strength and, and you're spot on. No, no one enjoys doing it. Uh, so, but in in this role, I do it semi regularly. So, uh, so you, you have to. Uh, I guess there's a method um, that I try and use, and I guess the biggest thing I, I, I try and work with when I when I talk in in having those tough conversations is just talking about the facts. Um, if you're talking about facts when you when you're delivering tough messages, then um, then that's that's the basis of what the the, the message is generally about, um, and it's hard for the the other party to dispute the facts. So um, that's that's generally what I base any of those really tough conversations, whether I'm whether it's on the selection table, whether it's about list management, whether it's about a bloke who's rocked up late to training. Um, 
it's the, the, the daily conversations that um, that, that happen. Um, but I always go back to well, what, what what's the what's the fact around why we're having this conversation, and that's generally um, what I try and stick to when when we have those conversations. But they're never easy, um, and they're not enjoyable, but um, they're they're a part of life. We talk about leadership in a sports context right now, but so much of it is transferable to a corporate environment or in, in other spheres of life. How have you evolved over the last four years um, as a leader at that level? Have you gone on courses? Are there, has there been anything that's been really useful for yourself? Yeah, I certainly try and do a little bit of personal development along the way. Um, I, I went and uh, met with a mindset coach uh, last year and um, got a lot of feedback around uh, emotional control and ability to um, stay level, particularly in high-pressure situations, and um, that was something that I've worked on over the last 12 months. Um, I'm part of a leadership group where we connect on a fortnightly basis with other leaders in, in different industries, and as you mentioned, leadership, whether it's in sport or um property or hospitality or it's it's leadership and, and managing people and, and so the same um, the same issues the same uh, questions arise um, so that ability to talk to people in different industries who are, who are leaders in their own right um, and understand the ways that they go about it uh, the, the 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 hacks or the tricks that they they've used um, in their career is, is something that's really refreshing and um, Again, we're not competing against each other, so it's it's open slather. We can we can we can tell each other about problems and and, and help try and solve it for for each other. And um, I found that really really useful as well. I'm I'm not a huge reader. Um, I do read, but uh, I, I'm not a huge reader. So I love I love interacting with people. I get energy out of speaking with people, and um, so that that for me is the best way that I've found to. To help in my self-development um so yeah that's something that just ticks along in the background um it's something that i really enjoy doing but yeah hopefully can continue to help me um in, in my current role i'm also very fascinated adam about the team behind the scenes so yes the public gets to see what's happening on the field and the the byproduct of the things that we've just talked about but I'm fascinated with how the game has evolved in terms of the off-field staffing, the different plat- um, apps and platforms that are used to help you and technology. Uh, how have you got a grasp of all of that? And, and what are some of those um, some of those new services that weren't available to yourself as a player that now the the current crop can uh, can lean on? Yeah, it's um, it, it's a good question. I, as I've sort of mentioned a couple of times, I've I've got a wonderful team around me, and I'm incredibly lucky from the from the top down. Christina Matthews, our our CEO, Kate Harvey, our high performance manager, who's who's my boss. Um, the support that I get, particularly from those two, is is huge. Um, in a role where um, ultimately you, you you're uh, judged on performances. Um, when you, when you get the support that I do from from above, um, it makes my job and my life a lot easier. Um, and then the coaches and the and the strength and conditioning staff that that we have around us, uh, in my opinion, some of the best in 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 their field. Um, and and so incredibly lucky that I can put a lot of faith and trust into those people to, and know that they're going to do their job really well. Um, the, the the players are spoiled uh, for 
for the quality of people that they've got around them as well in, in helping them in, in, in their journey. But also our, our ability, even our analyst, um, who's, in my opinion, um, he, he sets the standard. Um, he, he He's a big part of particularly in T20 cricket when you do a lot of analytics around opposition and, and grounds and um, and your own team. Um, he he leads the way and that sort of stuff and, and is a huge value to us. But, yeah, it's... Um, we, we have so many different um, apps and devices and uh, things that are available to us now that um, you've just got to, you've got so much to, to work with. You've just got to work out what, what's actually useful and um, what, what's going to give you the best bang for your buck. So um, we, we have things like um, we, we have footage at, at every training session. Um, we have after, after a T20 game, our players will have a, a cut up, package of their footage delivered to them within 15 minutes of the game finishing. Uh, just these sort of things that, um, yeah, we, we put in place to, to obviously continue to try and grow and improve our program. Um, and there's also, there's all new cool stuff out there all the time. And I think being, being a coach and being in high performance, you, you've got to be curious about what else is out there, what else can, can help you, what else can make your team and your program even better. So, we're always on the lookout for that sort of stuff and, and how we can get better. Um, but, yeah, there's there's some pretty cool stuff out there, I reckon. How we can get better. That's uh, one I want to talk about because you are at the top of your game. Um, you, you're now the hunted by um, in, in all the competitions. So there's, a, there's still a glimmer in your eye and I see there's the hunger to still stay at the top. Uh, so what is the, the strategy there? Because it's it's a different position you're in now. It is, yeah, absolutely. Um, with with success comes different challenges, and and that's that's exciting, uh, and it's new for us. Uh, it was twenty three years since we won the Sheffield Shield, so um, that that idea of becoming the hunted, as as you mentioned, is is something that's relatively new for this group. But um, I guess I, I, I rewind twelve months ago, and uh, we we played in two finals the previous year. Uh, we'd, we'd lost the one-day cup final, we'd lost the Big Bash final, we'd missed out on playing the Shield final by one game. Um, so we were really close and I spoke to our players in our group about, I thought we were a good team, but I didn't think we were a great team. And that was the challenge to our group and to our, our coaches and our staff was, well, how do we go from being good to great? And we sat down, we identified a few things. We knew we were doing a lot of things right, um, but we sat down and we identified a few of those things. and. Um, you fast forward 12 months and and we've won we've won three titles and uh, we came back as a group last week and I, I asked the playing group the same question I, well I challenged you are we from being good to great I said are we are we great yet and uh, and their answer was no so and and that was really I guess pleasing to hear that they and we all felt that there's still improvement there and um, yes we had a great season but we want to be judged on uh, I guess being able to be successful over a longer period of time. And that's what's going to drive us. Uh, we've got an incredibly uh, strong and talented squad. Uh, we've got some young guys on the periphery of our, our team that are desperate to try and get a game. And I think that'll continue to keep those competitive juices flowing within our squad and keep um, each other pushing really hard to, to keep their spot or try and earn a spot in our team. So um, th there's plenty of good stuff that we can still continue to do. Um, and continue to try and keep our 
our, our neck above water, I guess, and um, and try and keep the, the challenges away. Um, there's a lot of hard work that goes into that. Um, I use the quote that um, success is never owned. It, it's just rented and, and rent is, is due every day. So um, every day we've got to keep rocking up, trying to find ways to get better. And if we continue to do that and we continue to build our program and, and the things that we do um, to on a daily basis, well, then the results will look after themselves and, and we'll continue to hopefully be successful. But um, we'll continue to, to, to worry about that side of things and um, we'll back that we've got a, a really talented squad to, to hopefully have sustained success. To have uh, those types of young, talented players come through and, and keep that culture of success continuing, you look at the, the great players in WA cricket history, it does beg the question, What's in the water here? I mean, why is WA cricket producing so many superstars who are going on to international level? You've got eight players in Sri Lanka at the moment. Once again, disproportionate in terms of Western Australia's population. What is it about our cricket system here? That's a good question. Um, And uh, I don't have a simple answer for you, but I think the program that we do run and our ability to develop players is is a huge part of that. So we clearly we want to win things. We want to we want to win titles. We want to be ultra competitive. But ultimately, we want to produce Australian cricketers, and and so that's a, a big focus for us. And and that goes down to how we pick squads, how we develop players, how how our underage and our pathway programs work. Um, that ability to develop a a young fifteen year old. Jai Richardson all the way through to him making his test debut. Um, there's a there's a lot of pieces in the puzzle that, that go into that that progression and that development. Um, young Cameron Green. Um, so we're very aware of what we're trying to do and, and how we're trying to do it. And then ultimately it's it's about the player and, and their dedication and their desire to to achieve at the absolute highest level. And yeah, we're we're lucky we've got some really talented players, but talent will get you so far that their ability and desire to want to do the work is is what sets them apart and um yeah we'll we'll continue to hopefully with our program and within our program be able to develop cricketers who who are able to play at the highest level well mate wishing you all the success in the world for that uh, just on you personally adam i know you're someone who has a real philosophy around community and giving back as well and I, in my research the muscular dystrophy WA organisation is one that's close to your heart. If you can speak to that for a little bit. Yeah, I've um, I've been an ambassador for muscular dystrophy for the last five or six years now. And, um, yeah, it's something that I, I got involved in at the time, not knowing a lot about what muscular dystrophy was. And, um, yeah, look, it's a, it's a degenerative condition that um, has no cure, has no government funding, um, but has a wonderful community of people around it. And, and so... Um, I, I play a very small part um, in, in helping them and helping them to be able to raise funds to be able to help people with this with this crippling disease and um, it's something that I, I really enjoy doing um, it, it, being able to help out we've got a, we've got a function coming up on the 30th of June here in Perth and um, which I'll be speaking at with with Sean Marsh and, and we'll be talking much like we've done for the last 50 minutes or so just talking about the season that's been and um, and just getting some some people along to, to help raise some funds. But, yeah, it's something that um, it gives um, a bit of, uh, what's the word, I guess, um, 
reality to we, we live in a high performance world where I come into the whacker every day and, and I love my job but understand that there are people a lot less fortunate out there than what we are um, and so the ability to try and help them is something that um, I enjoy doing um, and something that's really important to me so um, yeah it's yeah something that I, I don't talk generally a lot about but um, yeah something that's pretty important. The high performance world that you you do a mention. How do you, on an individual level, Adam, stay uh, stay productive and uh, and manage your time? Because there's so much going on, uh, conflicting priorities. I'm really fascinated by how you just stay at, at the top of your own game. Yeah, time management's not my strong suit. I don't reckon, um, but something I've certainly worked on over the last five years. Um, this, this job can be all-encompassing, but it's it's understanding that you've, you've actually got to take some breaks along the way as well. And um, and when you do have a break, actually have a break. Um, and, and that's really important. Even even little things like when I get home from work, it's putting my phone away um, until the kids go to bed um, and just being present at home. Because when I first started the job, I was, I was on my phone the whole time. And even when I was home, I, I wasn't that present. And it was something that was... Um, pointed out to me by my wife, um, which yeah, it was, but it was something that I wasn't even aware that I was doing. So it's a, it's a it's a priority for me now that when I do get home, um, the phone goes away and I'm I'm just dad, I'm present, um, and until the yeah until I, I put the kids to bed, then 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 anything that needs to be done can be done after that. So for for three hours of each day. Um, People won't get a message back for me, or, or I won't answer my phone. Um, and then, yeah, finding those those little breaks with the family is, is really important as well. So, um, making sure I'm prioritising time with them. I, I spend a lot of time away from them, but so making sure that when I am at home, I'm I'm really present with them. So, uh, it's a work in progress. Uh, it's something that I can continue to get better at, but um, yeah, something I'm certainly aware of. Thanks for sharing that, Adam. And and last one, mate. Uh, how do you think about legacy? Do you ever think about leaving something better than you found it? Well, that's the ultimate, isn't it? That's what everyone tries to achieve is to to leave with the the organisation or the team or um, the, the 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 business in in better shape than than when you walked in the door. So um, that's what you do on a daily basis. Uh, legacy is probably something you don't think about any until you finish. Um, but ultimately, if if I can continue to try and help Western Australian cricket become better each day, um, I have absolutely no issues getting out of bed in the morning. I, I love my job. I love what I do. Um, and, and so for as long as they want me here, I'll, I'll continue to do that. But, yeah, ultimately, you, you try and have some success along the way. You, you hope that you, you leave the place in a better better way than when, than when you walk through. So, um yeah, legacy is not something you think about daily, but um, yeah, when when you finish, hopefully you look back uh, on this time pretty fondly. Well, Adam, I really appreciate you sharing some fantastic insights on the way you think about coaching and the setup at WA. Wishing you all the success and thank you for joining me on the show. Thanks very much. Cheers. There we have it. It's a wrap. Please visit abidimam.com or friodigenero.com to get the show goodies. Thanks to Sidebeat for their support. And of course to you for getting your ears around this one. Until next time, keep smiling, keep scoring.